Hi, folks. This is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is Monday, March the 28th, 2022, and this is episode 3062 of the Survival Podcast. I hinted at this topic on Friday. There was a lot of interest in it, so I went ahead and did it. Today's show is called The Enemy Within and an Uncertain Future. And I'm going to talk leading off today a lot about what they are doing. Them, the guys out to get us, whatever. And you'll even hear me during the Q&A period say it's not really that they're out to get us. They're out to get what they want, and they don't care that we get caught up in it or harmed in it. That's really what it comes down to. But we're going to turn a corner in it, and they're going to point the cannon at you in the words of a John Fogarty song, right? CCR. They point the cannon at you, right? I'm going to point the cannon at you. I'm going to tell you how so much of the problems we have today of our own making. We're not the ones that initiate the problem, but we're the ones that choose how we respond to it, and hence we allow them to get away with what they're doing. I hope that makes sense. If it doesn't, I promise you it will as we go through this today. And I will tell you there's some bad words in today's show. At least some people think they're bad words. A couple times they even rhyme with truck. Uh, and this is kind of old school TSP, off the top rope, elbow to the head type of programming you're going to get today. So if that offends your delicate little sensibilities, maybe you skip this one. If not, we'll jump into the live feed from this in just a moment. Before we do, let me remind you about our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor today, number one today, is ButcherBox. You know, we're talking a lot about food supply today. And it's really important that we're able to feed ourselves and our family. I don't consider that, like, no, there's no point in time that things can't go wrong and the butcher box will stop coming to my house. But what I know is up until that point, a box of really high-quality meat shows up at my house every month, and it's always a little bit more than I need that month. And that means I keep building up my freezer uh, inventory with butcher box and with other things that I do. I think you should, too. The quality is beyond compare. It's exceptional quality food. It's amazing to me they haven't raised their prices in the past four years that they've that I've been working with them. They really have. They're still selling for the same price. I don't think that can go on forever. And I'm wondering they have a kind of a track record of locking people in, like grandfathering people into certain deals and stuff. So maybe that would be an advantage to getting on board now instead of later. But they are an exceptional company. I've been working with them for four years. They pay me with a box of meat every month instead of uh, paying me with cash. So barter is better when you can do it. And I barter with ButcherBox. If you give them a try, you'll see why. And if you are an MSB member, the discount they give you will pay for your membership by itself twice over per year. Next up today, Backwoods Home Magazine. Really easy. Uh, I talk about Backwoods Home a little bit when we get into the main topic today, so I won't say that much. But I've been a subscriber since 1993. Actually, I've been a reader since 93, subscriber since 94. It's 2022. I'm still reading Backwoods Home today. That tells you what I think about the quality of the information you'll get at Backwoods Home. And you can find out more at BackwoodsHome.com. With that, let's go ahead and dig on into it. Before we do, though, I, this one went long. So I want to pull my T-SPAS segment into the front end of the show, and that way we can just end at the end of the episode. And as you guys know, if you want to support the show and the work that we do, you can just do your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. And when you do your online shopping there, you'll help us out no matter what you eventually buy. 
I have an item of the day today for you. It doesn't sound like a prepper item. It really isn't other than cooking is a prepper topic, and I've done many shows about that. And I advise people to buy things that you buy once and have for your entire life and you leave your grandkids. And one place you can do that is with cookware. And the best way to do that, carbon steel or cast iron. If it doesn't last forever, it's because you didn't treat it right. And if you're going to be cooking with carbon steel or cast iron, you want a great spatula. I know it sounds like a little thing, but every spatula I've used other than this one, when you scrape something off the pan, it bites into it. They're not beveled properly. This one's beveled and it has rounded corners, so you end up, as you cook over time, the pan gets better and better as you get fat and polymerization, making a you know permanent non-stick coating on either your cast or your, your carbon steel. It's made by Dexter Russell, and it's not cheap as, uh, as spatulas go. They're usually about $21, and they're on sale right now for $14, so like 30% off, $7 bucks off. So it's definitely worth picking up because it's on sale, but here's the more, more important reason. I have not brought this product around since before COVID started. When I pulled it up today and I saw a price alert on it, I'm like, oh, my God, it's back in stock. I have wanted to bring this back around here and there for the last – it's not been in stock. I don't know what the hell happened, but it has not been around. So it's in stock and it's on sale. And if you like to cook – And you're doing what you should, which, again, is you should be cooking with cast iron or carbon steel. And I've pretty much gone about 90% to carbon steel now. You want to get yourself one of these. I'll leave it at that. And remember, you can always support us no matter what you buy as long as you start your online shopping at tspaz.com. And just another reminder, it's March 28th. Why does that matter? Because MSB is on sale till the 31st. So you got 28, 29, 30. You got four days. Thursday, MSB sale goes away. It's not coming back. Discount code Mexico. 22, M-E-X-I-C-O-2-2, and you can get MSB for 35 bucks a year instead of 50 bucks a year. With that, let's drop into the live feed. And we are live. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Gear Monday Morning with me. Today's show, I floated the idea for it last week. There was a keen interest in it. I'm not sure how you're going to feel about it by the time we get to the end of it, because I've already promised some people in the pre-chat While I think you'll hear a lot of what you expect to hear today, you're probably going to get a few gut punches and ass kickings today. The enemy within is not just about the people who are in charge. The enemy within is us. We are the enemy within as well as the people that are truly the enemies of us. What I want to lead off with is, is something that I wrote. I don't have a copy of it or anything, but I, I'm going from memory here. I wrote it so long ago, it was pre Survival Podcast. So Survival Podcast started in 2008, and uh, so this would have been somewhere around 06, 07, I'm guessing. As many of you guys know, uh, one of our sponsors of our show is Backwoods Home Magazine. And I've said many times on the air, I've been a reader of Backwoods Home since 1993, and I still, still read their magazine today. I've been a subscriber since 94. And uh, I was very involved with a lot of online forums and things like that before I started doing TSP. Now, when I started doing this podcast, I kind of got out of those forums because I didn't want to be seen as a poacher. I didn't want it to be like, okay, now he's going to try to take all our people from all our communities and aggregate them in. If people followed me, fine, but I, I kind of stopped doing it. But up until that point, I was very active on several prepper forums. One was, I don't even know if they're still around. One was called Frugal Squirrels. Uh, one was the uh, Backwoods Home Forums, and there was a few others. And somebody posted a very thought-provoking thing 
on the Backwoods Home Forum, uh, under the Prepper Forum. And they said, what is our biggest threat in America? And they were really clever about how they did it, because they didn't prime the pump in any direction. They didn't say, like, are the oligarchs more dangerous than the New World Order, or are they the same? They just said, what is our biggest threat? And it was a very active chat or forum thread, whatever you want to call it. And by the time I got there, it had already had like four pages and probably ten responses per page. So like 40 responses to this. And I scrolled through them before I opened my mouth. I try to do that in talk forums. See, has anybody actually put what, I, what I'm going to say is, is our biggest threat? And no one did. A lot of the usual suspects. Uh, whether it was individuals or entities or just natural disasters, right? So our biggest threat, you know, some people said it was climate change. Some people said it was, you know, drought and famine. Some people said it was a potential pandemic. Some people said it was, you know, it was the New World Order. Some people said it was, you know, the, the reconstitution of the Soviet Union. Even back then, people were concerned about that. Uh, and on and on and on it went. And I said, it's us. It's us. We are our own biggest threat. We're the ones that allow the complete control and manipulation of ourselves, of our children, of our grandchildren. We're the ones that don't prepare. So if there is a crisis, we become dependent. We're the ones that live paycheck to paycheck. We're the ones that don't take care of our health. We're the ones that don't do the things that are inside of our sphere of control. See, and somebody says uh, the destruction of family. But we are the ones that let our families be destroyed. You can say that they destroy the family. They lay the conditions to destroy the nuclear family. But we choose to partake in the things that they've left for us. It would be like somebody puts a plate in front of you and said, you know, there's ten cookies there. Five of them have cyanide in them. And you're really hungry, so you eat three cookies. And then you're shocked when you die. That's how a lot of this is. But don't worry, friends and neighbors, we are going to start out with what they are doing, who they are, and what they are doing, and some of the things that we've seen happen. And uh, But then we're going to come back to kicking our own asses and being responsible for ourselves. I just want to talk about some of the things that have come up and happened in the last couple weeks. So we heard over and over and over again a couple things about Hunter Biden in Ukraine, right? And this isn't... This isn't pro the other party. You're going to see at the end of this short slideshow here today that nobody's going to pass. These just happen to be the assholes that are in charge right now, that have control of the House, the Senate, and the White House. So, of course, they're the ones doing this shit right now because they can. So what we heard that, first of all, Hunter, Hunter Biden had nothing to do with this you know, stuff going on in Ukraine, and it was just a contract because he's a lawyer and he's really smart, and it was all a plant, there was no laptop. Uh, the laptop was from Putin, made it and sent it to Maryland or whatever, and was buried before the election. And we also heard very recently, there's no biolabs in Ukraine. And then we heard, well, there's no biolabs in Ukraine that the Americans have funded. Then we heard, well, the Americans are funding biolabs in the Ukraine, but they're not for making chemical weapons or biological weapons. They're actually to help get rid of the biological weapons the Russians left behind almost 20 years ago. Huh, how long does it take to get rid of this shit? And now we know that there are biolabs, and we're, we're just afraid that the Russians will get their hands on the bioweapons that supposedly the Russians made themselves 20 years ago. 
that if they made them once, they could make them again. It's just, it's just unbelievable how much we've learned uh, that was completely not true a year ago, completely not true a few weeks ago, is true. And now it comes out that Biden, uh, Hunter Biden, along with some others, actually were funneling money into Ukraine for these biolabs that don't exist. Now, you have to ask yourself here, right? Why? Well, it's money. These people are rich as shit. They don't need any more money. I mean, money's not a bad motivator here, but come on, guys. Like, to me, there has to be something here. Like, they wanted this to happen. And, and I'm going to... I started with this one because it's the one with... I, like, this is total conjecture that this is part of the larger plan. But... I just would put it to you this way. What if you found out Vladimir Putin's son was involved in an oil and gas company in Mexico? And Mexico had a whole shitload of biolabs funded with Russian money. And Putin's son funneled money from his oil contract that he knows and gas contract that he knows nothing about to biological researchers. Do you think that might incense you a bit? Do you think you might be a little bit toward maybe we need to invade Mexico? Would it be right if we did? I'm not saying it would. I'm just saying, don't you think that you're provoking something? And then at the same time, what if you found out while all that shit's going on that Mexico was consider, considering joining the new Warsaw Pact? Right? So basically the equivalent of NATO for the other side. So Mexico's about to join Russia in an alliance that says if either nation is attacked, that it's an attack on both, with a bunch of other nations that are part of that, right? And would you be okay with it? By the way, they're doing all this biological shit. And then they say, you know, what we're really afraid the Americans are going to get into our bio labs and use this as an excuse for a chemical weapons or biological weapons attack. Right? And somebody says here, crazy conspiracies used to take years, if not decades, to come true. Now it's only like, what, four or five days. And that's, that's kind of my point here. But again, this is the loosest one. Let's, let's go to some other stuff that's going on right now. Now, how long have I been telling you to get your cryptocurrency off the exchanges? Get your cryptocurrency off the exchanges. Get, stop telling me you're afraid. Send 25 bucks to a software wallet or a hardware wallet. Make sure you did it right. Once you know how to do it, get your money off the exchanges. But I'm not sure what... Withdraw your fucking cryptocurrency off the exchanges. Sorry to be so blunt, but if I hear one more person come whining to me like a child that it's too hard to click a couple buttons and use a confirmation code, I'm going to hunt you down and I'm going to smack you. Because you're taking one of your key forms of wealth and you're letting people control it that have no right to control it. Here's what just happened. Here's what just happened. Coinbase is now complying. Now, this is not anti-Coinbase. This is anti-state. This is anti-government. Coinbase has been told, if you want to keep doing business in three countries, Canada, Japan, and Singapore, for different reasons and different justifications, you need to have a new policy, and that is when people withdraw money, they need to tell you who they're sending it to. And I think in Canada it's over a thousand dollars Canadian, which is like seven hundred bucks U.S. And then in Japan and Singapore, it's any time that somebody pulls their money off an exchange, they have to say who I'm sending it to, especially if it's another financial institution. Now, some people, some people woke up 
right away when they saw this and said, I'm just going to send it to my own wallet, and if they ask me who I'm going to send it to, I'm going to say I'm sending it to myself. Because it's not your business, and it's mine, and that's who I'm really sending it to. And if I want it to go to somebody else, I'll do it after that in a non-custodial uh, wallet. Yeah, great, for now. What they're going to do is they're going to keep pushing more and more toward regulating on and off-ramps, and people keep talking about DEXs. DEXs are great. That's a decentralized exchange. I'm trying to get... Joe and Bobby and Susie and Mary to stop keeping their money in Coinbase, dude. Don't tell me about a DEX right now. I don't want to hear about a DEX because if you know what a DEX is, I guarantee you you're not holding your freaking money on Coinbase. I'm talking to the people who won't get their money off these damn exchanges. Do you hate money? Do you hate yourself? Stop doing it. So this is coming. This is coming to America next. And I know it's very easy for us to look at other countries and go, well, see, that's another country. We're not, they're not, we're not like them. There's no country with tighter financial controls about where you can keep your money, if we're talking fiat, than the United States of America. Any citizen of any country, anywhere, and just about any country out there, there's very few exceptions to this, can open up a bank account in any other country. If you're Australian, despite all the COVID lockdowns and everything, if you want to open an account in, in London... It's not a problem. You want to open an account in El Salvador, it's not a problem. You want to open, I'm talking about regular money, not, not Bitcoin here, right? I'm not talking about any of that stuff. I'm talking about if you want to open up a bank account with uh, Lloyds of London, or you want to open up a bank account in Switzerland, you want to open it, it doesn't matter. You can do it. It is almost impossible for Americans of the common everyday personage, right? Not super wealthy assholes to open up a bank account in another country. Because the regulations are so onerous, all the other countries said, screw it, we're not doing it. We're just not. It's just easier to exclude Americans from our banking system. And the really rich ones can do it anyway, so we're not losing very much. So if they already are more onerous with what they do to us economically, then freaking the EU, then Asia? I mean, honest to God, it's, it, we have more onerous regulations over the average individual's finances than the Chinese do. So don't think this isn't coming. So one more warning. Get your freaking money off the exchanges, please. Stop telling me you can't. No, I'm not. I'm going to say this right now. I am not going to hold your hand again and show you how to do it. I want it, It's the Coinbase user I'm talking to, because you're the ones that are worst. Log into your account. Click send and figure it the hell out and quit making it excuses. Or you don't deserve it. This is so easy. This is so simple. You don't deserve your money. And when they lock it up, you have it coming. Okay? Next, everything you need to know about President Biden's food shortage warnings. Wait a minute. I thought there were no food shortages. Right? There were no empty shelves. Empty shelves Biden was rushing disinformation. Now the President of the United States says food shortages are coming and they're going to be real. But why? Why are there food shortages, folks? Why are we going to have food shortages? Well, we have a war in Ukraine and Russia. But you know what? We don't. We don't have a war in Ukraine and Russia. We only have a war in Ukraine. There's no, conf there's no combat in Russia. Russia has its tractors running. It has its fertilizer going. It's growing wheat. It's growing rye. It's growing all the grain that Russia grows. Russia grows a lot of grain. The only place where you're having bombs dropped right now and people can't grow crops is Ukraine. Now, Ukraine is a big breadbasket, but it's not that big compared to the total global market. 
No. The reason we're going to have a food shortage is because we're having higher prices and less production in the entire world because the major source of urea-based fertilizer is Russia. Now, we could be against Russia and still buy their damn fertilizer to feed our families. That would, you know, that would make sense. It's trading with the enemy, whatever. They've chosen to do this. But there's there's something in this that's bigger than a lot of people realize. And I've said that urea is piss-based, and it's really not. It comes from natural gas. I, I understand that. But it basically, urea, we can make urea with piss. We could do it. We don't, but we could. There's something else we make with it, though. DEF, diesel exhaust fluid. Now, what does DEF do? It makes the emissions of a diesel engine cleaner. That's all that it does. Now, it doesn't matter that we actually produce more pollution making DEF than we save from pollution on the other side of it. You understand what I'm saying? You have a factory making diesel exhaust fluid. It has an emission. You put the diesel exhaust fluid in the diesel fuel, and you have the diesel truck has an emission. And the combined of the reduced diesel emission plus what we get when we make the DEF is bigger than if we did nothing. And none of these trucks, all the diesel trucks, all modern diesel trucks need DEF, but they don't need it. They don't need it. What I mean is the motor will run fine without it. No need of it. You have a diesel truck, a modern one, you put diesel in one tank, you have another tank that holds DEF. What happens is if you run out of DEF, the computer will slow down, then shut down the motor. So while we're cutting our fertilizer intentionally, knowing full well what we're doing, we're also reducing our ability to move product in trucks while fuel's at an all-time high. Oh, gee, this is just great, isn't it? And this asshole, this potato salad for brains that is your president, is doing this right now and knows full well what he's doing. And it's not like the consequences of doing this are hard. And what is his solution? What is his solution? We're about to have global food shortages that are going to affect us in America, not as bad as, let's say, Central Africa or uh, Central India, but we're going to have food shortages right here. We're going to push the price of food through the roof. And if you don't eat soy and wheat, good. But what do you think the thing that you eat eats unless you're getting grass-fed, pastured, etc.? So every, every food item will go up in price. Every food item is going to be in shorter supply. And what does this genius have in store for you? Well, I have links to all of these articles so you can read them in full if you want to. Here's what he has in store for you. We need to increase our exports of United States produced food overseas to mitigate the shortages that we caused so that we have more shortages here in the United States. Now, and I'm supposed to worry about Whatever dictator de jour they're talking about, while my own government sends the food from my, from my country to other countries in the middle of a shortage, instead of saying, hey, let's feed America first, and then if we have surplus from there, then we can distribute it. No. No. So that's, that's going on. So this is a little bit, this article here on Grist is about the geopolitics of nitrogen fertilizer and, of course, death, diesel exhaust fluid. Now, do you want to know why we don't produce much of it in America? There's a couple reasons. One, we have a guild of about five companies 
that produce over 82% of what we do make in America. So they control the supply, just like the De Beers family controls the supply of diamonds, which are fundamentally fucking worthless, by the way. If you think diamonds are worth money, you are a victim of an artificial scarcity marketing campaign that's been running for 70 years. There's a place in South Africa, you can stand, it looks like a quarry, it's basically what it is. You can take a bucket with a rope on it, throw a hundred foot rope down there, drag it up, and about a third of what comes out of it is diamonds. But you're out spending two months' salary for a wedding ring because the beers is good at marketing. Because they control the entire global supply, including places where it's not, where they don't control it. We just label those blood diamonds and say they're being, you know, mined by children and slave labor, even though theirs are too. They're different slaves. It's different child labor. Don't worry about it. Just pay more money for the diamond. This is the same thing with this fertilizer. So one is a gilded control, a consolidation of companies to control the flow and production of it in the United States because our gas costs more. So what? It's a byproduct. It's a byproduct. But the bigger reason, it's very expensive. See, they don't say this in this article. You have to look it up elsewhere. It's hard to find. It's very expensive to produce urea in the United States because of our regulations. So who put those regulations in place? I'm thinking it was this dude right here, right? right? And, and his ilk. Because it's not about Biden. If you think this is about Biden today, you're not getting it. Boy, you're really not going to like when we turn the corner here in a minute. And I point the finger at you. Here's what else is going on. It's not surprising. It's not surprising, ladies and gentlemen, that we're looking at recession signals lighting up. U.S. yield curve inverts. Oh, that's scary. Now, you know what's scary? That we live in a country where this is one of the most important economic signals that you can look at about the future of your country economically. This is like literally almost 100% accurate in producing uh, a prediction that ends up being right. Almost every time this occurs... Almost, like 95% of the time this occurs, we go into a recession. And what scares me, most of you don't know what the fuck it means. You don't. You have no idea, and it's okay. It's not your fault individually. It is, because I told you to get on the, uh, the, you know, the economic term of the day from Investopedia like 10 years ago, and you didn't yet, right? But I mean, really, we don't teach this. Who out there, I mean, will, will you be honest with me? I won't pick on you if you do it. I'll actually respect you if you do it. If you don't know what a inversion of the yield curve means, put me in the comments, and I'll give you a second, a second before I, uh, I tell you what it means. There's one. I, I appreciate you, Hunters. Uh, F770 off of Twitch admitting it. I have no clue. So they're starting to come in. I'll go ahead and tell you what it means. And it doesn't sound that bad until you think about the implications of it. So... A yield curve, when you have an inversion, means that, if you think about it right now, if you bought a six-month bond or a 10-year bond, you'd expect that the 10-year bond would pay a higher interest rate than the six-month bond. Because who the hell would tie their money up for 10 years if they could get a higher yield by tying it up for only six months? You see this when you look at certificates of deposit in a bank, right? It's like... A piss-poor interest rate on a 90-day, a little bit less piss-poor on a six-month, and maybe you can get up to a point of interest if you do two years or longer, right? And so it just makes sense that if you hold money 
in an instrument for a longer period of time, you give your money to the person you're lending it to for a longer term, they should pay you a higher interest rate, right? See how that works? A yield cur curve inversion is when I can get more return by buying a six-month government bond than a 10-year treasury bond, meaning that the government is paying a higher interest rate for quick money because they can't attract long-term money anymore. And when this happens, again, we almost inevitably end up in a significant economic recession. The last time, we, we've had a few little, little flips of it, but it didn't stick. The last time it stuck, 2007. So how did a redneck hippie duck farmer go on the air for the first time in 2008 and within the first month of doing this podcast say, get your money out of the stock market, a major recession is coming? Because the yield curve was inverted. And at that point, the yield curve was inverted for a significant period of time, and there were other indicators. So I'm not screaming, get out, get out, get out. But I'm telling you, you better pay attention to it, because when this happens, and you wait and see how long it's... So if, if things magically clear up elsewhere in the world, this may reverse. But if this sticks, I guarantee you a recession. By the way, we're already in a recession, just so you know. Not, not technically, but we are. Then here's another thing. Example of just the government being complete idiots. Now, this is when I talk about stuff like this, I, I want you guys to understand something here when I, when I do this. It's not, look, I was right. Look how smart I am. I call myself a redneck hippie duck farmer. I am. I'm a guy that sits here, makes podcasts and videos, tools around on my farm, helps homeschool my grandkids. I never went to college a day in my life. You know, I'm not some genius. I don't have a PhD. My point is when I know a thing, and I don't mean I think a thing, when I know a thing is going to happen and I tell you it's going to happen and then it happens, then you can rest assured that all these sons of bitches that are in charge of countries and states and counties, all these people, they knew it too, or at least the people advising them knew it. They're not that incompetent. So here, here's what just happened in New Zealand, and I said this would happen. New Zealand is lifting its restrictions. Like, cope, like you can only keep a country locked down for so long before you kill yourself, right? And they want to kill themselves a different way than completely kill themselves. So they lift the COVID restrictions. They get rid of the, uh, the passports. They get rid of the vaccination requirements. They get rid of everything. After two and a half years of stupidity, guess what happens? COVID numbers skyrocket in New Zealand. Everybody else in the world is plummeting. New Zealand skyrocketing. Why? It's an island. You can actually hold back case count on an island with lockdowns and tight controls of who can come in and go out. You can do it. But what I said, and this was in like April of 2020 when all this stupid shit started. Any nation that successfully does this is going to deal with it way worse when they open up because they'll have to. And they haven't had a long, slow exposure to build up natural immunity. And it will explode, and it will be worse because you're going to deal with this sooner or later. So every place that locked down successfully is going to have this result. I knew they were going to have it, and I'm not a genius. You probably knew they were going to have it, and you're not a genius. So, so why do it? Why do it if you're not trying to intentionally damage your country? And this is where I'm going to really turn the corner. And some of you thought you were getting punched in the mouth. Now you're about to really get punched in the mouth. I'm about to go Mike Tyson on you. So while I'm putting all this together, I was on Gab today, and I saw somebody post this, and I'm not picking on the individual. 
It's not his fault that he's mentally warped and he thinks that this is actually something that means something. It's not the drug addict's fault that they're addicted to the drug. It was their fault that they started using the drug. But once you're an addict, you need intervention to become not an addict anymore. It's not as easy as just throw it away and walk away. right? Addictions are hard. Well, addiction to political processes is just as bad as addiction, addiction to a substance. I refer to this as hopium. So this guy, right, posts this thing today. I'm sure he's not the guy that created it, by the way. I've given up on all political parties due to their breach of faith and corruption. I'm now voting as a constitutional conservative. Really? And how might, how might I ask are you going to do that? Do you see the problem with this, guys? Do you see how this doesn't actually functionally work? That you can't do this? Even if it was a good idea. And I'm not saying that it is or it isn't. I'm just saying it's not possible. Who are you going to vote for? What, what exact, you know, um, where, where are you going to find your constitutional conservatives at? Right? And then you know some of you might even point to a congressman or two or a senator or two that's at least close. Are they in your district? No. Are they in your state? No. Are you fucking moving to where they are? No. Then guess who you're voting for? The person that put that up is voting for the next rhino in the next election because that's the choice they're going to have. They're either going to vote for a Democrat or a Republican, and the Republicans are just as bad with a different marketing spin. There's no way. And somebody says, write in Bugs Bunny when he votes. That's how. Well, if you write in Bugs Bunny, you've done nothing. You're better off abstaining. If you want to go write Bugs Bunny and go ahead, if it's catharsis for you, go ahead. But you're not voting for a constitutional conservative. And the person that swears to God, I will never do it again. I'll never vote. I'll, I'm going to vote my conscience from now on. When they look at Demorat A and Rhino B, if they're a Republican, they're going to vote for the Rhino and say, well, it's bad, but it's better than him. Right? And this is where we've lost control. This is where we've given up all sanity and all hope of fixing the problem because we are as bad. And when I say we, I don't necessarily mean every individual listening to me. I'm saying the American people. We are our own biggest threat. We're the ones that allowed it. I'm going to do something right now that I don't usually do. I'm going to read the notes from today's episode to you. And I'll put it up on the screen there. And I'm going to read what I wrote for at least part of today's show. Today we look at a future that is potentially very dark. Food shortages, economic controls, the expansion of surveillance, and more and more are not only likely, but they're in progress already. How do you fight back when the enemy is within your ranks and in charge of everything? This may spack of conspiracy theory to some who are longtime listeners who usually hear my upbeat practical advice on a daily basis. I wish it was. We wish we were not in a position we are in America today, but we are. And over and over again, we are told the bad guys are over there. It's all their fault. The bad guys have been goat herders in Afghanistan, an invisible virus, drugs, the Russians, and the list goes on and on. The bad guys are also the other political party. Rest assured, no matter which party you pick, the other one is the bad one, and you are safe and morally right in your decision. Yet, who is the enemy, the real enemy? 
Who has manufactured crisis after crisis? Did Putin cut us off from his oil, fertilizer, and diesel additives? Did the goat herders rewrite our entire policy of surveilling the average American? Did Saddam Hussein change the definitions of our financial law so he could lock down the accounts of the average Joe or Jane? Did COVID shut down your business, put a mask on your children, lock you in your homes, and force an unproven and risky medical procedure on you? Did COVID do that? Or did our government, oligarchy, and technocracy do that? Did Vladimir Putin cover up the Hunter Biden laptop story knowing full well it was absolutely factual? Or did the U.S. media conspire together to do so? Did Kim Jong-un throw protesters from January 6th in prison for what is essentially property damage with no due process for over a year? Did he do so after allowing BLM to burn down dozens of cities in America with almost no consequences? After doing so, did dictator Kim then claim that January 6th was worse than both Pearl Harbor and 9-11 together? Did fill in the blank make it so that even pointing out the difference between a man and a woman is now akin to a hate crime? Then in doing so, literally destroy the dreams of hundreds of thousands of young women who were previously destined for college scholarships and being the best in women's sports. Who did all this? Worse, who continues to allow it to be done to them? We must focus on what we do control, our primary survival needs, and our own personal economies. And with that, we're going to turn the corner, and now you're, you're going to get hit. I'm going to hit you with a 2x4 in the face a few times, I'm sure, today, even if I don't directly mean to. You know, I just explained to you how you're not in charge, how voting different people in won't change it, how this idea that I'm going to vote for fill-in-the-blank is hopium, that they have all the levers of power, they have all the control. And then I said, but you're letting them do it. I think there is a problem in the mindset of the average person, and it is intentionally planted there. And that is that we have been conditioned since we were little kids in the indoctrination centers they call schools to believe that our system of democracy works. And it doesn't. You can't have a system of what you want to call democracy. And the next person that tells me we're a republic, not a democracy, I'm going to track you down and I'm going to smack you in the mouth for being an idiot. That's like saying it's not a magazine, it's a clip, or it's a clip, not a magazine. Stop it. We are a constitutional republic in the form of a representative democracy, or we're a representative democracy in the form of a constitutional republic. Take your pick. We have a democratic process by which we elect leadership. If you can buy positions in leadership in a so-called democracy, you do not have a democratic component. We have seats for sale and positions of power for sale in this country. It is not a democracy. It is a republic. Because an oligarchy is a form of republic. But you've been convinced that we don't live in an oligarchy. In fact, we talk about Russia and say, it's the oligarchs, it's the oligarchs. Like, fucking Jeff Bezos isn't an oligarch? Like, there's any oligarch in Russia that has the global power footprint that Jeff Bezos does. Or some of you guys, your hero, your Iron Man, Elon Musk, right? Yeah, he's on our side. Sure he is. He's just Hogan. He's just Hogan. That's all. Hawk Hogan, for those that are too young to know. Right? You know? <laughs> and the Russian oligarchs are like, you know, the Iron Sheik and Macho Man before they switch sides or whatever. It's all, it's all a joke. It's all the system designed to control you. But you've been convinced that just one day, 
If our side gets control, we'll fix it. I'm 50 years old, almost. I'll be 50 this summer. I've seen complete control by both sides, and I've seen split control, and I've seen nothing but an inevitable march in the same direction. So when I say you're letting them, I understand why some of you are going to say, who is this jackass letting them? He just told us they have complete control of these, these levers of power. Well, there's two types of letting somebody do something. There's letting them do the thing. And there's allowing yourself to become a victim of the thing when you have time to prevent it from happening. And I'm talking about the second one. If there's going to be food shortages, and right now there's plenty of food, the only thing preventing you from having a, a stockpile of food so that when a shortage comes, you can take care of your family is you. There's, no, there's nothing preventing you right now from going up and stocking out on food other than you don't have the money, which is another problem. Because we don't know how to manage money in this country worth a shit. But assuming you have the money, right now you still have plenty of time. It'll run out. It's like an hourglass. Looks like there's a lot of sand in it, but it's running at the same speed. right? This is a planned thing. You can see this coming a mile away. But you're the one that chooses not to have a stockpile of food if you choose not to. You can't prevent them from creating a global food shortage. I agree with you, but you can prevent them from making you a victim of it. Got it? See how simple that is? Water's easy. I'm going to go through your six primary survival needs. These are the things you need to survive in the here and the now. You need food. Well, it's easy. Don't even want to talk about it very much because you can go do it. You can start doing it right now. I've only been teaching it for, what, 14 years? 14 years I've been teaching copy canning, which just basically means if you buy a thing, instead of buying one this week, buy two or three, and keep doing it until you have a deep pantry for that thing, and then get another thing, and then get another thing, and get another thing, and you can, you can lay up plenty of food that way. You want to do bulk laying up a food or whatever, that's fine. But if you are looking at this and going, the President of the freaking United States of America has said, there are going to be global food shortages, and my plan is to export more U.S. food in the middle of one, and you're not going to take the time to at least lay up a month or two worth of food for your family, then you're letting them starve you. Now, there'll come a time when you're not letting them starve you. When the food's gone, when the shelves are empty, when you can't afford to buy the food that is available, and there's rationing on the food, then you won't have a choice. But it's like, remember Rocky... The Rocky movies, and there were some where they would show in slow motion, like, ah, and the punch just coming, and then you got that effect of the head just going, and the sweat and blood coming off of it, right? Well, you know, in real life, nobody punches anybody like that, right? Because if you did, you know, the guy would just like walk around behind you and club you in the neck while you were going, ah. But this, this punch in the face is just like that. You could see it coming. You're choosing to sit there. And turn your face up and let them hit the, the tip of the chin that's going to knock you out. You don't have to do that. Water? Probably the least of our worries out of the survival needs here, but good God, you have water that comes out of your faucet for free. Lay up some water. Save jugs. Like, find somebody that drinks, like, that doesn't care about their health and they drink soda. Two liter soda bottles last forever. Rinse them out really good, fill them up with water, put them in the closet. You know? It was, uh, I think it was Louis Black 
I guess that's his name, the comedian. The last name's Black. I remember seeing him one night. I got stuck in an airport, and I had to walk across the, the street to get to the Sheridan Hotel in the airport. No clothes, because they lost my luggage, right? So I had my little carry-on bag, which no real good change of clothes. Learned that lesson. This before I was a prepper. Ended up soaking wet. Two o'clock in the morning watching Lewis Black, and he was talking about how water comes to our sink, and we're the only people in the world that are like, screw that! I want to buy it in a bottle for a dollar a bottle. There's some truth in that. Store water. If you don't store water, and we have a shutdown of our water supplies, or we have a contamination of our water supplies, they might do it intentionally, who knows? But you let them. Because right now you have an unlimited supply of water. What about shelter? What about shelter? The number one way people lose their shelter in the United States of America, outside of natural disasters, because if your house blows down, your house blows down. Your house burns up, your house burns up. So that's an insurance thing. And if you don't have insurance, they might let BLM burn down your town, but you're the one who didn't insure your home. You see how that works? There's things that they do that you don't control, but there's things you do control that mitigate these things. But the number one way is people get evicted because they don't pay their mortgages, because they go broke and bankrupt. And the number one reason it happens is people buy the edge of their budget on the upside instead of the edge of their budget on the downside. They overpay for homes. They don't worry about it because property values always go up, and it'll be fine, and I'll make more money in the future, and inflation's on my side. And then it takes one hiccup and you know six months of non-payment before they whip you out of your house. So you have a decision into how you budget for your living quarters and making sure that you buy what you can afford even in bad times. Or BlackRock gets to buy your house on a foreclosure and rent it back to you for more than you were paying for it when you were living there, assuming you were bound financially enough. Right? You can't stop what's going on with that. You can't, you can't stop a complete coordinated effort that's allowing giant corporations to buy up real property in record numbers, especially in large suburbs, and turn the entire people of this country into a rental-based people, while they sell you that it's a good thing to be a renter instead of a property owner as a lie. But you choose whether you participated in it or not. And you choose where you live. If you live in some of these shithole cities and your house burns down, at this point I don't have much sympathy anymore. I know that sounds harsh, but if you live near Seattle, what do you expect? If you live near L.A., what do you expect? The next time something pisses off the ravel, do you expect the riots that we have to be larger or smaller than the last riots we have? What is the progression of riot over time? They get bigger and bigger and bigger. Any genius can figure this out. Any non-genius can figure this out. So if you lived in a place that the riots were here and you were here and a couple blocks separated you this last time and you don't get out of there, you're basically saying the next time it happens I expect it to happen here and I'm going to live here anyway. Maybe you shouldn't do that. I know moving can be hard. But I've been telling you to get out of these places for a long time. You need to live somewhere where you have some breathing room, where your neighbors aren't on top of you, where you can have some privacy where you can actually provide for yourself and your family. If you don't right now, I'm telling you, it's going to hurt sooner or later. And how, I don't know. Is it that riots are going to burn your, your house down? Maybe. Is it just that you're going to live in a place where there's so much competition for the resources that are available that you're worse off than somebody that doesn't live there? And it could be anything in between. 
But you choose where you live to a large degree. And I don't want to hear, I can't. No, I can't is your mental defense of why you're not going to do it. It's the same shit when somebody's like, well, it's not worth going off grid anymore because they made it illegal. Okay, so one town in Florida that Mike Adams wrote an article about seven years ago told somebody they couldn't disconnect from the grid, and they had to pay a $3.50 service fee to stay connected to the grid, even if they didn't use any power. And that $3.50 is why you won't invest in off-grid electrical uh, production. Okay, sure. Sure it is. Or you were looking for an excuse, and that one became very, very convenient. Yeah, that's what happens. I'm looking for an excuse for inaction, so I'm going to go find an excuse for inaction, and you're letting them destroy your life. Because that brings me to energy. You need to have a plan for what you're going to do. Power goes off. I'm still hearing people bellyache and whine and whimper and bitch over last winter when the power went out in Texas, and now it was all Governor Abbott's fault. Now look, I'm all for kicking Governor Abbott whenever the hell I get an opportunity to do so. But this idea that the power grid is never supposed to go down, when there's these things called wires that bring power to your house, that can get dug up by a backhoe, hit by a car, hit by a storm, like power goes off. Now that was an exceptional situation where a huge number of people were off for an extended period of time. But somebody goes without power every day. And it's back to the cookies. It's more like now I made 20 cookies. One of them has cyanide on it. I put the, the plate in front of you. You eat two cookies. Odds are on your side that you're not going to get the cyanide one. But if you do, boom. You drop over and you die. Maybe, maybe cyanide's a little bit too. One's going to give you E. coli. Make you really sick and crap and puke your brains out for a couple days. Right? And the other 19 are just fine. And you still eat a couple. And then you cry when you get the shits. I'm sorry. You knew the risk. And that's what's going on. So it's not necessarily everybody needs to live off-grid. It's not going to happen. I'm not off-grid. But you better have a plan. And if you don't, then they can literally control you by doing what? Turning off the power. Think about it. Is this unprecedented? Or were there people who said during the pandemic, I'm not shutting down my business. If you want to send cops here to write me a ticket every day, I will sign the ticket, and you can see me in court. I will not shut down my business. And the government told the electric company to shut the power off to the location, and they did it. Did that not happen? So you already know they'll do this, and you have no plan for day-to-day -day power outages, for long-term power outages, for intentional. So you're letting them do the result. Do you see how that... You can't control what they do, But you can control whether or not you're prepared to deal with the consequence. And most Americans are not prepared. They don't want to be prepared. What about security? Man, security is the survival need that people either go all in on to the exclusion of sanity or they ignore. And there's a common reason for it. Other than guys like guns and gear, right? The common reason is... You can live without security for your entire life and live to be 105 years old and never suffer for it. I didn't say you would. I said you could. Especially in a country that's generally stable, if you, especially if you stay out of areas that are not. So there's parts of this country that in the best of times, you take a walk there, you're taking your life in your hands. You can deny it, 
but it's true. And there's parts of the country where in the worst of times, you can take a walk and nothing's likely to happen to you. Not guaranteeing it, I'm just saying the odds are high in your favor and nothing's going to happen. We all know this is true. So we can go our whole existence without any personal responsibility for our security. We can fumble through life and nothing bad can happen to us. Or we can need that additional security one time for one-tenth of a second and end up dead. And that's why people overdo it and why most people underdo it. I, I, I the, the preppers that are like, I got my gun and my gear and if I need something I'll just take it. Okay, you're going to end up dead. If we ever get into that situation, what are you going to do? Go take it when you get laid off of your job and evicted from your house? You're really going to end up dead or in prison then, moron. Right? So you got that person. Like, their bug out bag is a battle kit. It's not a bug out bag. It's nothing but giant knives, guns, and bullets, maybe a couple band-aids and a few MREs. And you got people that just ignore security. Now, they're usually not preppers. They're usually not preppers. But it's really just plumb ignore their security because they get away with it. So if you end up in a situation where you need additional security and you're unarmed and you have no ability to defend your home and your family and your property and you end up a victim, right now you have plenty of time to make sure that doesn't happen. You have a country that the leadership of is hell-bent on turning every American against every other American. What do you think this gender nonsense is really about? What do you think it's do you think they really believe do you think they really believe that a six foot four inch man should be competing with women in sports and it's only right and only fair that we do that or do they want to put things out there that are so preposterous that it makes us want to kill each other if we take the other side because you have to be mentally defective and I mean this to think that's okay you have to be mentally defective I don't think the people pushing it, are mentally defective. I think they know precisely what they're doing. They want us to want to kill each other. They want us to have complete loathing and hatred. They want two people to get together that agree 95% of the time to focus on the ridiculous absurdity of the 5% they disagree with. Because the divided people are easy to control. And you choose to focus on the 5%. You choose to be addicted to outrage. You choose to hit play and watch again and again and again as Will Smith slaps the shit out of Kid Rock, uh, Chris Rock, right? And actually think that matters in your life. You choose it. You choose to turn on the news every night and go, oh, I can't believe it. Oh, I can't believe it. Doesn't matter if you turn on the left-wing news or the right-wing news. You choose to do it. You choose to be divided. Our country chooses to be divided. And then you choose to not see to your own security in a society where people in general have grown to have contempt and hatred for the average person across the street from them that they don't even know. Now, we have a lot of things we can do to reach out to people and build our networks. We'll get to that at the end today. But the other side of it is there's people you ain't going to reach. And when they get hungry, and when they get scared, and they've already been dumbed down to stupid... And if you haven't, if you didn't get the show that I did with Bonhoeffer's Theory of Stupidity, I will add that to the show notes so I assume I don't forget. You need to go watch the video of Bonhoeffer's Theory of Stupidity. Stupid people driven by fear and control are freaking dangerous. 
They're absolutely dangerous. Best thing to do is stay away from them, but when you can't, you better be able to defend yourself. And security is not just about a gun. Security is about where do you live? Back to that. If you live in a place that's high risk, move to a place that's low risk. Yeah, I did, I did some security details in the military. First thing you learn, take the guy you're protecting through a route where there's less risk. That's, that's, that's before anything else. Assess the risk and go the less risky route. It's better that nobody knows he's important. It's better that if he's attacked, it's like a random attack. It's not a targeted attack. Much easier to deal with, right? So you, you, you strategically relocate. That's part of security. Know your neighbors, right? Don't flash your cash. And I don't really mean money. Don't advertise that you have a lot of stuff. And I'm not talking about, well, you should not tell anybody you're a prepper. That's dumb. What I'm talking about is when I drive by your house, I shouldn't look at it and go, gee, that's like a freaking flea market of like cool shit over there. Right? Don't be attractive. Security is deadly important. And then health and sanitation. What are you going to do if your sewer doesn't work? Do you know? I'm not going to tell you. I'm just saying maybe you should have an idea what you're going to do if your sewer doesn't work. If you flush the toilet and it won't go down, what are you going to do? And what if it doesn't work for a month? That's part of health and sanitation. Water and food are a huge part of health and sanitation. These things are interlocked with each other. You want a sick person? See somebody who hasn't eaten in three weeks. They'll be sick. Right? People think you lose weight when you're healthy. People with cancer lose weight. Right? People with AIDS lose weight. Being thin in of itself is not necessarily mean that you're healthier. What are you eating? See, health and sanitation isn't just if the grid goes down. If you're living on McDonald's and Burger King and Chick-fil-A and whatever the hell else, you're not healthy. Do you know what one of the biggest expansions is in the United States over the last five years? Like real estate property-based business. Dialysis clinics. I learned about this from Ken Berry. We have had more new dialysis clinics go in proportional to the original number than new fast food places. Fast food places are kind of at a critical mass, I guess. The two are connected, though. You know the number one reason people are on dialysis today? Complications due to type 2 diabetes. Do you know the number one reason people have type 2 diabetes today? Eating too many carbohydrates and being too fat. It's a combination. It's a one reason together. Type 2 diabetes is not diabetes. Let's say that again. Some of you are going to be really pissed off because you have it. It's not diabetes. Diabetes is when your pancreas can't make insulin and you're born with a genetic disposition and one way or another that gene gets activated and your body stops making insulin. And you have no choice at that point other than to inject insulin in your body or you will die. That's what diabetes is. Type 2 diabetes is insulin resistance. It's when you shove so much food in your food hole and you put on so much fat and you fill so many fat cells that your body has to produce more and more insulin to get the same result and your pancreas gets tired and it either can't produce enough because it's producing less or even producing all that it can, it's not enough to counteract your fatness. Now, you want a country that's easy to control? Put them in rascal scooters running around with flags and masks on their face bitching that you are a threat to their health Right. I recently read an article, I, I wish I could find it today, I couldn't, but basically it's, it's literally now considered racist by some people 
to work out and be in shape. Yeah. Yeah. That's a thing. And I know what you're thinking. That's one moron that believes this. How many morons believed that a guy that puts a dress on is a real woman five years ago? And how many believe it now? The number is a lot. Apparently, you can't define a woman without being a biologist at this point. Right? So, health is so important. Health is the number one way that they have gained control over us by destroying health. I'm not that old at 50. I remember being in grade school. Reagan became president. And this is not pro-Reagan. This is just what happened. But I remember all of a sudden in school, we had the presidential physical fitness test. And boys and girls had different tests. Imagine that. Boys had to do pull-ups for part of our test. And girls had to do like a hang. Like they, they would be helped up and they had to hang for a certain amount of time. And almost none of the kids could pass it. But the schools actually encouraged more physical activity as a result of this. Now, you know, like telling a kid they need to work out, that's fat shaming. Like as though a 14-year-old is supposed to be fat. This is by design, fattening the American people up for profits off pharmaceuticals and compliance. Who's more compliant, fat guy or guy in shape? Who's more compliant as a man, a guy with testosterone below zero or a guy with the proper amount of testosterone in his body for an American male or a human male, I should say? Who's easier to control? You think this is an accident? You think this is just what happened? You think Cheetos are just Cheetos? Right? Because even the garbage food is more garbage today than it was 30 years ago. It looks the same, smells the same, mostly tastes the same. It's made with more garbage. More sugar and more garbage. The guy that came up with using corn syrup instead of sugar, for instance, back in the 70s, nobody used corn sugar. This corn syrup, this high fructose corn syrup, it is toxic. It is toxic. It is to It is more damaging to your liver in high amounts than alcohol is. And alcohol is bad shit. This is not alcohol is good and, and corn. It is more damaging to your liver than alcohol. Because alcohol is self-limiting. You only drink so much before you pass out and puke. And people know alcohol is dangerous. So I'm not saying ounce for ounce. I'm saying in general in practice. Because people are like, oh, I'll just give my baby apple juice. All that they want. There's more sugar in it than a Coca-Cola. And it's all fructose. And it, it, you know, the fructose in an apple is not enough. No, 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 no. We got to dump some corn syrup in that shit. You know what I came to? A guy that worked for Ocean Spray in the 70s. He said, hey, hey, this, this white powder from the Caribbean and shit, right? We grow corn everywhere in the world, not just in the tropics like they do with sugar. We could save a lot of money. He bought a multi-hundred-acre ranch. He nicknamed it the Sugar Ranch. He paid for it in cash with his bonus from that year. So, yeah, money starts it, but money continues it. The, this country has an average of more prescriptions per citizen than any other country in the world, including the ones where healthcare is a free human right. We are the most medicated freaking society in the world today and we are by and large if you take out where people starve so if you take the people that are they're massive nutritional deficiency due to starvation and you go to the rest of the world where people generally eat every day we're sicker but we're on more medication yay us 
you let this happen. You let this happen because you choose to, t to just immediately, when a guy writes you a prescription, to go fill it and start taking it without asking any questions. And again, some of you that don't, don't be personally offended. Good. You know better. But most Americans do. Oh, the doctor said I need this new prescription. Let me tell you how this works. If I'm a doctor and you come to me for your annual, semi-annual, because you picked your nose wrong and you bled, whatever, and you're on one prescription... When I turn a billing code in, I get a certain amount of money. But if you are on three prescriptions, I get more money. And if you're on five, I get the most money. So financially, as a doctor today, especially a general practitioner, it makes financial sense for me to make sure that all of my customers are on an ongoing prescription number above three, and the more above five, the better. And if I get you to three by the time you're 40, I will get you to five by the time you're 50. And my retirement's looking really good, and I can buy the Mercedes for my daughter. That system exists, and you can't change it. But you choose what you put in your mouth. You choose whether you have a general practitioner that works for the insurance companies or whether you get a direct primary care physician for when you do need a doctor. You choose to actually take the prescription and start consuming it while you're eating Cheetos. You're the one that decides, you know what, it's okay if I eat shit food as long as I take a little bit more insulin today for my type 2 diabetes while your fingers and your toes rot and die and while the capillaries in your kidneys die. You choose this. We are our own enemy. They're poisoning us, but we eat the poison. They tell us it's poison, and we eat the poison. It's our choice. Next, the education of our children. This is a hot button for me. I don't think there's a thing that we allow that if we're ever judged, we will be judged more harshly for than allowing the state to indoctrinate and brainwash our children, especially at this point. I've had my issues with the educational system since I was in it as a child. But what's gone on in the last five years is beyond reprehensible. What's going on in our school systems today is not just wrong. I don't use this word often. It's fucking evil. It's evil. Bringing a six- or seven-year-old child into a classroom and sitting them down from a child of another color, another race, or another sex, and telling one that they're oppressed because of the other, and telling the other that he is the oppressor of the first, is not just wrong. It's evil. It's evil incarnate. And I, I often say I'm picking on the system, not the teachers. If you are a teacher and you participate in that 1%, you are scum. You have no right, no place going near a child. You are a child-abusing piece of freaking vomit. You're not even good enough to be shit because you were hurled out before you went through the intestines because you're that bad. If you teach children to hate each other, to despise each other, to have any feelings of animosity to each other because of how they look or what gender they were when they were born or when they were born or who they were born to or what their parents do for a living or fill in the blank with anything else, you are, the, you are below scum. You aspire to be scum, and you have no ability to ever obtain scumhood. And I know a lot of you are going, yeah, yeah, amen, you're preaching, Jack, preach. You're the one that chooses to let your kids be influenced by those people. I don't care what you have to do. Get 
your kids away from these scum. And at this point, they are scum. And I've given teachers a pass for a long time. And the ones that won't do it, I still give you a pass. But there's less of you every day. More and more. Well, I, I don't know. I have to teach it. No, you don't. No, you don't have to teach it. No, you don't have to tell your children. We're going to talk about this next week. Don't tell your parents because that shit's happening. If your teacher is teaching something that they tell your child to not tell you about it, you have to ask yourself, why? I'm telling you, it's a good thing that my grandkids are being homeschooled right now with us. And it's a good thing that this shit wasn't going on when I was a kid. Because some of the things I've heard told to children, and then they were told not to tell their parents about, if I would have found out about it, I'd probably be in jail. Because I would literally beat the shit out of somebody that did that to my kid. Because it's abuse. And you might think that's violent, and that's, hey, I got a question for you. How much abuse do you allow to your child before you take action? These people are absolute vehement scum. And I know I'm ranting. I'm sorry. But it's the truth. It's the truth. I can't see a way that telling a small black child that the small white child sitting next to him is his oppressor is not abusive. And don't tell me it's not happening. And don't tell me it's not being taught because I've seen a curriculum for myself. Don't tell me that children are not being told, do not tell your parents what we're teaching you, because I've seen the evidence and I've seen that it happened. We are going to be old someday, you and I. Really old. I talk about myself being an old man now, but I'm in great shape, thanks to changing my diet and believing and actually practicing everything that I'm preaching today. I'm in great shape for my age. Really great shape. But I'm going to be old. I'm going to be 70, 75, 80. Many of us are going to end up, even if we do well with our diets and all, we're going to end up with dementia. We're going to end up needing to be cared for. If we don't raise our children and grandchildren properly, those will be the ones that are in charge. When we're old and we need help, and when they're not there for us because we weren't there for them, it'll be karmic. It'll be karmic. Next, we need to see to our own personal enterprises. We may not control the economy of the United States or the world, but we control our personal economies. We do. And we control it mostly through apathy and relying on somebody else to do it for us. This is why some of you, when I was ranting at the beginning, saying, hey, get your freaking Bitcoin out of Coinbase now. This is why you make excuses. I don't know how. You can't hit send, drop in an address, and, and get a text message and drop in a code and say, confirm? Bullshit. If you, if you can get on Coinbase and buy Bitcoin, you can withdraw. It's not any harder. But I'm afraid. You're not afraid. You're apathetic. I don't If you believed what I was telling you, then you'd risk $10 on a, a test withdrawal to see how it works. You wouldn't email me again, again, but I really don't know how. Can you walk me through it? No. No. You're not a child. You're a grown-ass adult. Right? But this is not about Bitcoin. This is about the larger way that we look at economics. Most people live paycheck to paycheck, not because they have to, because they choose to. I'm sorry, it's true. And this isn't, stop being poor. No, this is that people view the money that comes into their lives as this is how much money I have to spend. And they don't pay themselves first. They don't knuckle down. 
They don't sacrifice. And the way that I'll prove it to you is the average person that makes a good living today, say they're in their 30s, mid, late 30s, they've hit their stride, they're, 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 they're actually making any, an income that anybody, that anybody out there would consider a good income, and they have no money. Maybe 2 or 3% goes in their 401k or whatever, but they have no real money at the end of the month. Well, when that person was making $10 an hour when they started out 15 years earlier, they were in the same position. Most people, every time they get a raise, the money is spent as soon as the raise comes. Now, they can create a system that makes it easy for you to behave that way, but you're the one that chooses your behavior. When I tell you, read The Richest Man in Babylon, or if you're too lazy to read it, go look it up on YouTube and listen to it for free, and you don't, you make that decision. You make that choice. When I tell you, do not keep all your money that you keep in crypto on exchanges, and you do, you make that decision. When I say, don't put all your money that you save into 401ks and IRAs, have some money that's outside of that system so it's liquid, you're the one that makes a decision to go all in on retirement accounts. When I tell you that if you just buy a bunch of different mutual funds, you are not diversified, and you do it because you have five choices in your 401k and you don't do anything else with your money, then you made that decision. When I tell you to start a side hustle and you don't, then you made that decision. When I tell you simply, if make your life more efficient so you spend less. Grow, you want to save, you want to save enough money starting at 20 to retire a multimillionaire? It takes about $150 a month invested in the most safe investments you can get. So if you can produce $150 worth of food a month in your backyard, there's your money. You're the one that chooses not to do it. You're the one that chooses not to ask for a discount when you're buying something. You're the one that chooses to put it on a credit card instead of saving up the money and buying it. You're the one that says, I want my children to have what I didn't have, so you go buy bullshit they never needed instead of spending time with them. This is all part of your personal economy. Yes, they have created the conditions to destroy us economically, physically, as far as our health, and to create a broken nuclear family system where families break up and they're not, even when families stay together, they're not really together. They just kind of occupy the same space. Right? They're the ones that have created a system that's so predatory on men that when a man and a woman gets divorced 99% of the time, the guy ends up barely able to afford to sleep in the back of his car while he plays child support, and the woman shacks up with a new guy who doesn't get married, who's living off of him. They created that. You choose to participate in it. You choose to participate in it. We're the ones that have allowed our morals to be eroded to the point where when a marriage gets hard, instead of saying, this is why we got married in the first place, so when it's hard, we have a true bond, and we have something worth working through together, it's just easy to get divorced and bail out. They're the ones that made a system where one partner generally does well in that situation, but you choose to participate in it. They're destroying everything. Not that it means to be an American. They're destroying everything that Western culture was built on it. And they're doing it with one intent, control of you and your family. You choose how to manage your money. You choose what to do. You can buy a packet of seeds for $2 that grows $100 worth of food. Or you can go to Whole Foods And, and pay $500 for $150 worth of food. It's your choice. 
You choose whether to reach out to your neighbors and friends and find out what they need so that you can barter and keep money in your economy. You choose all these things. And I'm not saying the other choice is easy. In fact, let me give you a pass here if you really want it. You might feel kind of icky about taking it once I tell you what it is, but you can. Of course most people do the other things. It's easier. It's easier. It's the path of least resistance. You were conditioned to do it. You were trained to do it. You were taught to do it. You've been actually conditioned to believe that it's noble to do it their way. And it's easier. It doesn't require risk. It doesn't require risk, does it? It's really easy to just go along and get along. And t here's the thing. Until it's not. Until you wake up one day and realize, I'm living in the middle of 1984. And you are. This whole thing about America's going to fall if we don't do something, wake up. It's fallen. Stop smoking the opium pipe. Put it away. It has happened. If I told you the way things would be today, in the year 2000, first you wouldn't believe me. But you wouldn't have said, well, if that happens, it's maybe five more years and America's gone. You'd say, when that all happens, America that we know is gone. It's already dead. It's already over. It already happened. It's the end of America as we knew it. It already happened. But it doesn't have to be for you. Sooner or later, this reality is going to sink in for people. And we need the beachhead formed. We need to be in proper position for the battle. And I'm not talking about guns. And I'm not talking about preaching. I'm talking about the baseless logistics of being able to take care of ourselves and our families to build economies. If people get talking about parallel economies. Fuck a parallel economy. That's some bullshit somebody made up for a hashtag so they could build a big presence on Gab. We don't want parallel economies. We want economies. Parallel? What the hell are you talking about parallel? I don't want to be parallel to them. I want to be better. The first economy you build is your backyard economy. Home economics. Right? Before I worry about trading with my neighbor or buying from the guy down the street, I want the economics of my home tuned well to provide a surplus. Once I have a surplus, now I have something of value to offer to my neighbor. You see how that works? That's building your own personal economy. Your own personal enterprise. And then that leads right into the next thing. The size and quality of our network. I have had huge networks in my life as a salesperson. When I was the regional sales VP for Fluke Networks, and I would open up my ACT database, there were over 30,000 direct contacts in that database. Not all of them I knew personally, but they were in my network enough because of my position and what I was doing and how we were, that if I called one of them up and said who I was... They would take my phone call, but the quality was shit. They didn't care. You know, they might have cared because they were working on a deal and they need me this week, but tomorrow after they got the deal, they didn't care. It's huge, but it's useless. I have a big network on LinkedIn. I don't even know what it is. It's thousands. I don't care. Most of those people I don't know, they don't know me. It doesn't matter. They're trying to sell me some shit. The network I care about is TSPC, the Survival Podcast Community, the people that are in this chat with me right now. 
Do people that like what I'm saying enough, they threw a super chat at me for 15 bucks a few moments ago. Sorry I missed giving you a call out there, but thank you for that. I'm scrolling back to see if I can recognize it. Ah, Lazarus. Lazarus Rex sent me 10 bucks. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. And I don't mean I just appreciate it because he threw me some money. I'm talking about everybody that's here. Right now there's 319 people here just from uh, YouTube and I think Twitch. You could be doing something else, but you're here. You're listening to me. You're sharing what I what I tell you with others. You're building a better life with it. That's a network. But my network's also the neighbors. My network's of people that I actually have come over to my home and spend time with me. That's valuable. That's incredibly valuable. Um, and lastly, I'm not going to say very much about this. I'm going to go ahead and get wrapped up here. But I'm probably going to add to the permaculture series, and we'll be continuing with part four of the permaculture series tomorrow, the concept of eight forms of capital. We live in a society where we have been convinced that the only meaningful capital that we have is money, financial capital. And we have financial capital tied up in liquid and illiquid assets, right? So we have a house. People say it's a liquid asset. I don't think so, right? To get a full value for your house is going to take time. It takes time to even, if you sell your house tomorrow, a lot of times you're waiting three, four weeks to close, a liquid asset is something like a security. I can sell it and I can have the money the next day wired into my account. Bitcoin is a liquid asset. Cash is a liquid asset. But we think that all of our capital is really in the form of money. And this leaves us bankrupt. Because I want you to think about if there's eight things that you should have in your life and you only have one of them, no matter how much you have, how deficient are you? Extensively deficient. I'll just give you the basic eight forms of capital, and you can kind of bounce it around your head, and we'll talk about it more in the future. But we have intellectual capital. See, they can dumb you down, but you choose not to learn. Your intellectual capital is your knowledge and the knowledge of your network, by the way. We have social capital, but that's different than intellectual capital. Social capital is I can get somebody to do a thing. Intellectual capital that goes into my network is if I call Bill and I ask him a question, I know he'll know the answer, and so I might as well have that information already because it's, it's accessible to me. You're the one that chooses to turn the TV on, to binge Netflix, or to actually do research and learn things that are important in your life. Not just, oh, I know more, but more that does what? You're the one that chooses to learn how to like weld and make money with it, or homestead and provide food with it, or how to educate and teach your children with it, or you're the one that learns how to be a drone robot so you think you're going to change the course of the country by voting different next time or voting harder next time. You choose the intelligence quotient that you build in your own life. And thanks, Papa Smurf, for the, uh, the super chat as well. I really appreciate that. Um, next up, ex experiential capital. So intellectual is what you know. Experience is what you can actually do with what you know. So most people, they can't do shit. They can't do anything. This broke. Call somebody. I'll admit, I call somebody sometimes. But usually, wow, Mike, thank you. 50 bucks. Appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. It sets value for value exchange. Really appreciate it, man. Um, what, can you, what, what have you done with the knowledge? so that you have the experience to be able to do it again and to teach it.
Because teaching at an intellectual level only is inherently limited. That's why, even though I haven't been that big on YouTube until very recently, doing an audio show, I've always had a YouTube channel with video and be able to say, this, and, and put up pictures and images. This is what we're actually doing. It's nothing without the experience to go with it, guys. It's nothing. And it's your choice to build that experience to go along with your knowledge base. Cultural capital. What is the value of your community? Where people want to be part of it, not for what they can get out of it, just because it's great. They feel good. When we do workshops here at the farm, and people come, and then it's time to leave, there's always people at the gate, they don't want to leave. And it's like, guys, you've been here five days, you got to go home. i got to get a nap, i got to go back to work tomorrow. But I know why they don't want to leave, so I don't push that hard. Because they're with people that get it. Anybody out there right now that's been to a workshop here, and when you got here, you were like, oh my God, these are the most awesome people in the world. Just put me in the chat or something like that if you're somebody that's had that experience. That's cultural capital. The people that you've made real relationships with, you haven't even met in real life through this community, that's cultural capital. We have our own cultural capital within TSPC. Holy crap, you guys are, thank you. K-Bonk with a $100 super chat. Guys, I appreciate it. Please don't do that unless you can afford it, though, all right? Thank you. Um, yeah, and it's so amazing, isn't it, to find people like that. So when you're building a business, you need to build your cultural capital as much as your financial capital, your experiential capital, and your intellectual capital. You want people to want to work for your company because working there is great, that it feels good to be part of it. Living capital. What's the value of a tree? What's the value of a tree? What's the value of your mom? What's the value of a flock of chickens? What's the value of a beautiful stream? What's the value of a pond? Some of these things have value you can't even put a number on. People say a piece of art is priceless. I don't think so. I really don't. I think there's some art that's pretty amazing to look at. There's no piece of art anywhere that if I was a billionaire, I'd spend a million dollars on. I wouldn't do it. And if I did, it would be purely to play some kind of financial game with leverage or something. Like, I would never spend a million dollars on a piece of art. But I'd spend me a million dollars to protect and preserve a forest. Right now, if I could. That's living capital. Financial capital, we won't go over. I think we all get that. That's money, and money's important too. Material capital. Your things, your inventory. What's the value of the tools in my workshop that I can build a thing with? Right? What's the value of the home itself? We think of it as real properties, financial uh, uh, capital, and it is on a balance sheet, but what this house actually does for me is put a roof over my head and over my family's head and give me the ability to teach right here from my own home office. That's material capital. Social capital. Being able to get things done because of who you know and what they know about you. My favorite guy to always talk about with this was a dude named Buddy Shoemaker. He lived a few houses up the road from my grandfather. He made wine. Country wines. Homemade wines. People would go up there with a big bucket full of you know strawberries or blueberries or raspberries or whatever grapes. And he'd make wine out of it. And he'd keep half the wine, he'd give them half the wine back. And he didn't drink that much for a guy that made a lot of wine. He gave away a lot of it. He bartered a lot of it. 
He knew everybody in the township. There wasn't a person that dude would call that wouldn't like break their neck to help him out. And if they could, they'd say, but I know who can. One day he, he came down to my, uh, my grandfather's place. And I'd always carry this giant hefty sack, you know. Finally, I found a wagon, like a little kid's wagon. I would use that to pull it up the hill, you know. Huge sack full of grapes every year from my grandfather's vines up to him to make wine out of. Well, he comes down one day, and he's got his wine from that year, and he hands him a bottle, like a really nice bottle. Like it looked like something came from a, a wine shop. And the old man's like, well, what's this? He said, that's your wine. It's seven years old. That's where your wine peaks. That's where it's the best. And I know you. You like your drink. And you never save a bottle for that long. So I put this one up for you. And I'll bring you one every year as long as you're still here. The old man was just, like, it's the only time I ever saw him with, like, other than when my grandmother died, with, like, misty tears in his eyes. That's social capital. You tell me the favor that man could have asked my grandfather for that he would have got a no to. We have chosen to let them destroy our social capital and trade it for likes and loves on fucking social media. We have let them steal that from us. We let it happen. We cannot control what they do, but we control how we respond to it. And spiritual capital. I don't care if you're an atheist. I don't care if you're a devout Christian. I don't care if you're anything on any level of spectrum. This is the same thing. This is the same thing when it comes down to what's inside. What's inside the heart and the greater thing to who we are than our hands and our feet and our legs and our skin and just our brain. There is a mind-body-spirit connection in human beings. And you can believe that we evolved by accident from microbes. You can believe that we evolved with intelligent design from microbes. Or you can believe that God pulled us up out of the earth and made us what we are. It doesn't matter. When you deny spirit in the human condition, you take away what makes us human. And we let them kill it. We let them convince us that we either had to be devout believers in a faith... Or we had to be a purist atheist that just denied all spirituality whatsoever. And it's asinine. It's asinine. I don't care if you're a complete devotee to logic and science. When you think about the fact that there are more stars in our galaxy than grains of sand on all our beaches. And there's more galaxies with 10 grains of sand on all our beaches. And we are this one tiny thing in this vast expanse. And even what we call the universe, we really mean the known universe. We have no idea how infinite space and time are. And if you can look at that and say it doesn't matter, there's no place for something more within us. Then they won, and you lost. Then you've given away the one thing that you had. The one thing that you had that made you insurmountable, that made you unbeatable, that made you undefeatable. Short of taking your life, there was nothing 
that they could have done until you conceded that one thing. Spiritual capital is the most important form of capital that we've allowed them to take away from us. And even plenty of people that go to church don't have it anymore. Because they see it outside of themselves. God will fix it someday. God will judge them someday. Every single person that ever believed that you know they'd see the day of judgment died disappointed. Or they found out what it really meant when they died. That they would see it someday. Take your pick. But this idea that someday there will be this great reckoning that God will come and make it all perfect, even if it's true, it's probably not going to happen for you. You're going to have to. You're going to have to bring justice into your own life. You're going to have to bring morality into your own life. And the only thing that's going to get you through the shit we're going to be dealing with over the next years, because it's going to get worse is going to be a belief in something beyond yourself that you still can tie into, that you can still be part of. It's the hardest one, and it's the easiest one. Because if you want to build up material capital, you have to acquire the material. If you want to build up intellectual capital, you have to acquire the knowledge. If you want to build up experiential capital, you have to gain the experience. You want to build up financial capital, you have to earn and save the money. But spiritual is a decision. It is a decision that you will conduct yourself like what you are. An incredibly powerful being that is more than just your skin and your bones and your hair and your teeth and your eyes. That there's something completely unstoppable within the human spirit. And we've seen it throughout history over and over and over again. People doing more, causing more to happen, standing longer, being there. And some of them do pay with their lives. But guys, gals, we all pay with our lives. None of us are getting out of this alive. I'd rather live to be 70 fearless than 100 in fear. I promise you that. I'd rather I'd rather make 70 fearless than a hundred in fear you will not you will not take that from me I will not yield to that I am a peaceful man I will back away from all this shit as far as I can but I will never ever ever quit and the only reason I can say that is because I understand spiritual capital And it's up to you how you use your spiritual capital. Let's hit a few things from the audience and wrap up. Kurt Arnold says, is that a lever action Henry behind you? No. This is part of my social capital turned into material capital. This is a Marlin three fifty seven uh, lever action gun. And many years ago, I talked about the fact that I walked away from one of these at a hardware store. And it was the old school one without the stupid cross bolt safety. And it was very inexpensive. And I was looking for a deer rifle for my son. And I decided this was not a good first deer rifle for a kid that age. And the minute I walked out that door, and for the rest of my life, I regretted not buying that. And at my 10-year anniversary party, a group of listeners went in together and purchased this rifle and gave it to me and said, congratulations on 10 years. And I told them, don't cheap out. We're going to do a 15-year one someday. <laughs> But, yeah, that's, that's, that's where that came from. It's a Marlin. Um, 
Jack, for building solutions, side hustle garden, etc. How do you just get rolling in this right direction? It seems hard to sift through the info and get on the right foot. Okay, so do something. Pick one thing and do that and succeed or fail. Right? Like, there's literally no one that can't do that. I'm going to pick one thing, I'm going to do that, and I'm going to succeed or fail. You realize, like, there's no way you could screw that up. So if you succeed, then you take the lessons from success and you reinvest those into doing more or another thing that will also be successful or fail. If you fail, then you learn from the failure and you adapt and you do a different thing with that knowledge or you take the failure and you adjust the original thing till you do it successfully. And the reason you think you can't is because you're like, I need to do this, 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 and this. No, bullshit. When it comes to learning a new thing that you don't know how to do, you need to do one thing. Do the one thing until it's successful, or do you wear it out and realize you need to do another thing? I wish I had a better answer, but that's the right answer. Encamp uh, says, Jack, have you donor and experience Have you done an episode for Crypto Dummies yet? If so, what episode? Um, I think I have some very entry-level crypto shows. I will let me throw that in the notes over here so I don't forget. Crypto for Beginners. It's hard to type when you're leaning over like that. Anyway, um, I definitely have. And, and, and I know that like I sounded pretty brutal today about getting your money off the exchange. If you don't know anything about crypto... I have sympathy, and I will help, and maybe we'll do another getting started in crypto thing again. If you've taken the step of setting up an account on an exchange, I don't care if it's Coinbase, I don't care what it is, and you've actually been able to verify your identity and all, spend money and buy crypto, and you, you tell me you can't withdraw it because you don't know how, that's where I lose my sympathy, man, because you don't believe, this is what I said again with that, I don't think you believe me about how, how serious the situation is if you're going to use that as an excuse. And it's inevitable. When I do try, this is where I get pissed, right? I try to help somebody. Like, oh, I really don't know how much. And I'll email them back and go, well, How much money do you have? And they're like, 200 bucks. Usually I don't even answer that. Right? Usually, I mean, send yourself $10. My fees will be high. I don't care. It's called, it's called paying tuition to learn from life. Mike says, why do they want control of a serious question? I understand the need to protect my interests, but sometimes I question, they are out to get you an argument. They're not out to get you. They're out to get what they want. And what happens to you, it, they see as a natural consequence to that. It's much like a battlefield. So the enemy is in this encampment, and they're shooting at me. And they're, they're all in this, this, this group of buildings. And I have artillery. I know in that encampment there are people that are not shooting at me. But since I'm getting shot at, and since in this instance we're going to say that backing off is not an not something I can do, then I'm going to call a freaking artillery and airstrikes in, and I'm going to level the building. And the people that die that weren't the ones shooting at me, we use a term for that, we call it collateral damage. It's one of the main reasons I'm so anti-war. I think anything that we can do to avoid war short of surrendering to the enemy, should be done to avoid war. If we all have our own places that we live, and we all mind our own business, and we all leave each other alone, we'll have a happier planet, and the people doing it right will have more success. It's a market-based economy for the entire world. But if you're going to be in a war, and people start shooting at you off the roof of a building with an elevated advantage, and you level the building, 
You call it collateral damage. Wherever that building falls, whoever it falls on. The person that owned the building that wanted nothing to do with somebody occupying it that lost financially. You feel bad for them, but it's collateral damage. This is what they are doing to us. They want total, complete control, and whoever gets hurt in the way is the enemy. And sometimes the enemy's not really the enemy, but it's collateral damage. And we live in a society where people do what works. And so if you are a pharmaceutical company, you don't make money by curing diseases. You make money by treating them. So the more diseases, the more product, and the more money. So we live in a society that's designed to create sickness. Because it's financially advantageous to create sickness. If I could give you a pill, and that pill instantly cured type 2 diabetes, even if I sold that pill for $10,000 a pill, I can't make as much money as prescribing three pills on an ongoing basis to the average type 2 diabetic for the rest of their life. When the real answer is, stop eating food you shouldn't eat and you won't need any pills. But as a pharmaceutical company, I'm going to do what works. And if it works the way that advantages me, that means the person will be on the medication for the rest of their life. Well, now I have no interest in curing the disease. And I'm actually empowering the behavior because if we didn't have those medications, a lot more people would die a lot faster and the concept of eating Twinkies every day would become unsustainable. So it's not that they're out to get you, it's they're out to get what they want, and that involves getting you. And they don't care. Xavier says, did you just fucking kissed in yourself, they might do it intensely. Why are we letting them? I don't really know what you're asking next. I think you misspelled a word there. <laughs> did, did you just listen to yourself, maybe is what he meant to say? They might do it intentionally. We are letting them. Uh, I'm not sure. What you're asking me, man. Uh, Jack is back. Hitting hard, no mercy from Loco E. You got it, brother. Uh, I think it's time for a lot more straight talk, a lot harder talk, and a lot less they did it and more what we're letting them do because that's what we control. JC Solutions, Jack, what are your thoughts on Bitcoin during a large dip in the economy, i.e. depression, recession? Do you think people will dump it or hold it or whatever? I don't know. I think that you're, you're in a recession right now and Bitcoin's going up. That doesn't mean it always will. There's a point where if people need money badly enough, they'll sell what they have to get money. However, the more and more you move toward institutional investors, the more and more you move toward entities that can borrow the capital when they need it so they don't need to sell the asset. So I think it's pretty, uh, I think it's a pretty good place to have a portion of your wealth. I'm not Michael Saylor. I'm not telling you to put 100% of your capital in a Bitcoin. I'm not doing that. I never will. I don't care what it is. I don't care if I believe in it a million percent. I believe in diversity, real diversity of investment. Humble Mechanics just came in. Sounds like it's getting real. Yeah, bro, you know it. Um, Local E says, Jack knocked it out of the park today. Thanks for that. Uh, Nunya Biss says, my three kids, family, all the hope I need. Yeah, that's part of spiritual capital. I think it's why you find, and it's especially men. It's, especially, it's true of all people, but it's especially men. We start thinking about the world differently when we become fathers, and I think even more so grandfathers. We start realizing, like, this life that one way or another I've handed down to my child, my grandchildren, even when they're stepchildren, right? It doesn't matter if it's a blood relation, because I'm pouring who and what I am, my knowledge and, and, and my effort that, that fed this young being and made them into a man or a woman, And you start to realize that one day I will dirt nap. 
I'll go away. And no matter what your faith is, the idea that you know what will happen after you die is nonsensical. Since you haven't done it yet, you don't know. You believe a thing, but you don't know. Is there a heaven? Is there an afterlife? Is there a nothing? Is there a return of our knowledge to some universal core? What is it? I, I don't know. I have my beliefs, but that doesn't matter. What I believe is what I believe. What you believe is what you believe. But we don't know. But I do know one thing. One thing I know. That when I'm gone, every person that's still here, that I ever touched, that's still doing things a little bit differently because I touched their life, will still be here. And it, it's conceivable that 20, 30 generations from now, a person that wouldn't even know my name is still acting in a certain way because of some cascade that I started. And there's no place that we have more, more ability to do that than with our own children and grandchildren. That is all you need. It really is. And Nunya says, remember the deployed, definitely. I'm anti-war. I know a lot of people, when I talk about soldiers and Sailors, Marines, etc. being overseas and thinking of them and holding them in your thoughts. I know a lot of people don't get it because you're supposed to be an anarchist. You're supposed to be anti-state. You're supposed Glorifying the institution is not what I'm talking about. I was a 17-year-old kid when I stood up and swore an oath to the Constitution. I was a 17-year-old kid when I signed away my life for a number of years. And I didn't do it because I wanted to go kill brown people. I did it for a couple reasons. One, I really believed in what I was doing, 100% at the time. I believed in it all the way, that we were American, we were a force for good in the world. It wasn't true, but it was more true then than it is now, for sure. That doesn't give me a pass. I was young, and I didn't know. But I know what I believed in my heart, and I know what the people that, that served on my left and right flank believed in their heart. I know the missions that we did. I know that we, you know, on one in particular, we built roads and schools for people in rural Honduras. I don't like the fact that it was paid for with stolen money, but, you know, I've even said as an anarchist, you know, if you want to you give me a deal where all the government does is build roads and bridges, I'm not completely happy, but I'll take that deal. It's a pretty benevolent thing to do that. Yeah, and remember... Soldiers, the sailors, the airmen and marines. Remember it. Because, let me tell you something. The people that come back, and when you come back, generally, and you get out of the military at first, you're still indoctrinated 100%. But most veterans, over time, they decouple, they decompress, and they think about the reality. And they become the greatest advocates we have for freedom and liberty. Most of them do far more for freedom and liberty once they take the uniform off than when they were wearing it. That's not to say that we don't have some, some soldiers and, and what have you that are incredibly heroic in their actions and their service. You know, we, we certainly do. But when we really start to change the world for the better... That's when we start speaking to our fellow man instead of shooting at him. There is far more powerful in word, far more power in words than there are in bullets. There's a time for both. There's a time for both. If you're trying to kill me, I will kill you back. I promise. 
And I'm pretty good at it. I don't want to be what I am. But I don't ever want to be in that position. You know, I, I've said this before. Like, those of us that are prior military, we have some dark humor. When you hear it, it's not meant for you. You're not... And it's not, it's not an elitist thing. It's just that since you weren't ever in that mindset, you don't understand it's a coping mechanism. When I talk about something, like if I say something like, my security system is just loudspeakers that play let the bodies hit the floor, and everybody laughs, that's not, that's not really for the general public. Because I don't want that ever to happen, and it's not actually true. It's a, way, it's a coping mechanism. Yeah, don't forget to deploy. And one of the greatest things in the world that you can do for the cause of liberty, is be a mentor to a recently discharged veteran. Because they're, especially some of the shit that's gone on in the last 20 years, they feel abused, they feel taken advantage of, they feel that nobody gives a shit, and for all of the evil that the state does, let me tell you something about serving in the military. It does teach you a mindset that is incredibly valuable where there's a mission and there's a task. We fail tasks. We don't fail missions. We don't fail in missions. If we have to die trying to fulfill a mission, then we die trying to fulfill a mission. And that's literal, but it's also figurative. And that's why some of the, the most accomplished people in the world of business have a military background. So, yeah, don't forget them. Guys, thank you for being with me today. I really appreciate it. Thanks to all of you guys that did Super Chats was kind of overwhelming, some of you. I really appreciate it. I don't expect that all the time or anything, but thank you very much for it. I do my best to provide as much value as I can. Tomorrow, we won't be in this darkness. Tomorrow, all of you that showed up for the darkness today, show up for the solution. We're going to go part four of the Permaculture Introductory Series, and I'm going to give you solution after solution after solution. Take care, friends. You pull yourself up, they keep bringing you down Are they gonna bail you out or just run you around They said you should have a house the American way a Dollar down, a dollar a month and you never have to pay There's a better way Show you a better way You don't have to be Another face in the crowd You don't have to live the way they tell